So, today I'm going to teach you about the critical and core importance of effective core beliefs in developing your dominance, developing your submissive, and developing your relationship. Now, beliefs are the lens through which you see the world, and core beliefs are particularly impactful beliefs that you have. These are the kinds of beliefs that you have that you don't question. The kinds of beliefs where they reflect this concept that I read about in a book, which honestly changed my life. And it impacted the majority of my views on the environment and the preservation of the environment. And that book is called My Friend Ishmael. My Friend, I-S-H-M-E-A-L or A-E-L by Daniel Quinn, D-A-N-I-E-L-Q-U-I-N-N. The book is magnificent. It is a Socratic dialogue that occurs between a man and an ape about the nature of reality and about man's and animal's place in the universe. And somewhat to my disgust, almost every environmentalist, I, in fact, I don't think I've ever met anyone else now that I think of it, that has actually read this book, but I found it particularly insightful. And it irritates me that more people who make care and concern for the environment a pillar of their core belief systems have not read it, though I doubt it's through lack of desire, it's more likely through obscurity. It is an unconventional book, and it may resonate with you as strongly as it resonated with me, it may resonate more or less, but I recommend it. One of the uh, concepts that's expressed in this book is this idea of a belief system that's so deeply ingrained in the human species, and I won't spoil it for you because it's quite a good section, but just the concept of a belief system that's so deeply ingrained across every human society that it's never really questioned. And this led to this, what the book calls this idea, the breathless voice of mother culture. It's a fascinating concept. And it's essentially the idea that there are things that you simply never question. Right? There's that scene in The Matrix where Morpheus is telling Neo, you, know, you think that's air you're breathing now? A perfect example of using a question to draw attention to something that is so fundamental that we take it for granted. We, we do it, and not in the sense that, oh, you know, we take it for granted in the sense that we never question it. Core beliefs are the things that you hold to be so true that they're never really questioned. Not seriously, right? But core beliefs are important because not only are they the lens through which you see the world, but they are the lens that allows you to experience the world in certain ways. Two people can have an identical experience and depending on their core beliefs can feel radically different about this experience. This is tying into something that I'm developing called meanings theory, where in a simple sentence, again, to sort of boil everything down to applicability, which is an emphasis of mine. It's important to understand that simplicity is important. But in a single sentence, meanings theory is we are not so much or persistently hurt by the things that happen to us as we are hurt typically more by what we think they mean. So obviously someone can punch you in the face and that's going to hurt, right? 
But what might cause more pain over the length of time, or even more pain in the moment, then what you end up with is the meaning causing more pain, typically, than the actual event, what we, what we think that it means. And what we think that it means is impacted directly by our core beliefs. They are what allow us to experience the world in a particular way. Now, this is again an area that I'm drawing attention to because I believe that it's one of those areas where people massively overlook the importance of this topic and where systems of effectively altering core beliefs have not really been presented. So one of the things that influences core beliefs are formative experiences. Right? When you're a child, typically when you're a child, but also when you're an adult, you have experiences that take on an emotional magnitude that is greater than other experiences. These are significant events. Now, when these events form or contribute to the formation of belief systems, they're called formative experiences. So here's what happens. You go out with a girl. It goes great. You think girls are pretty cool. All right. You go out with a girl again. It goes great. You think girls are pretty awesome. And then all of a sudden, you're straight and you're married. Right? You have a core belief that gets established early on in childhood and then becomes stronger and strengthens with time and with experience in a way that empowers or disempowers your life, in a way that enhances your personal choice, as Igor Ledochovsky would say, or in a way that restricts your personal choice. And I had the thought when I was walking the other day that no, as far as I can tell, no one's really identified the core beliefs that make up being an effective dominant in a very effective way. Now, I've read dozens, and I mean dozens, of whiny, submissive, wish-posting articles on FetLife and on elsewhere where they've said, oh, you know, a dominant should be this, a dominant should be that, a dominant should be this, a dominant must be this. And I think to myself, does the sheep define the wolf or the wolf the sheep? This taps into a broader conversation about whether, whether it is right and correct for a man to define the position and role of a woman or whether it's right and correct or even possible for a woman to define the role of a man. Now, I had a conversation with someone recently about how, as a man, we cannot understand what it's like to give birth. We can create, we can build, we can maintain, but we cannot understand what it's like to hold a living human being inside of us for nine months and expel that child into the world and love them unconditionally. You know, obviously men love their children unconditionally and are capable of that, but we can't have the unique experience of childbirth. That is a woman-only thing. And no man would ever dream of saying to a woman, you know, I understand what it's like to give birth because the, the sheer arrogance and disingenuous of disingenuousness of that statement would be beyond evident. Is the reverse also true? Is it true that a woman cannot tell a man, well, yes, it is. They, they have a good crack at it, but they fall far short and their, their motives are manipulative at best and evil at worst. So I've read a lot of these, you know, wish-posting listicles about how a female submissive says this and a male should be this and a dominant should be this. And I think to myself, and this taps into another lesson on the attributes of an actually effective and desirable dominant. So look out for that one. But the things that submissives think make an effective male dominant are often not the things that actually make an effective male dominant. They are the things that a submissive draws attention to and the things that a submissive may notice the limitations there are her viewpoint and her perspective. So I know I've rambled on uncharacteristically in this episode so far, but here's the gist of it. 
Developing yourself as a dominant requires examining your own core beliefs and replacing them strategically and structurally with ones designed to empower you with more strength, more authority, more freedom in a powerful and effective way. Not only in the way that you act, but in the way that you replace your existing beliefs with new ones. Now, I've talked a little bit about formative experiences because of its relevance to the next topic we're talking about now, which is how do you create a highly effective belief system? Now, again, answers up front, because I hate waiting through three hours of podcast to get to the juice myself. So here's the answer. You create a list of extremely well-defined, profound, and highly effective core beliefs for a male dominant that take into account the physical, economic, political, social, and sexual realities which must be examined with a completely open and questioning mind taking nothing for granted to form this list. And then you create a deep state of hypnosis using your preferred method. And then you create a room inside their mind. And then you create, have their unconscious mind create things in that room that didn't exist before to demonstrate basic proficiency at finding and creating things that didn't exist before, but doing it unconsciously. Then you have them find a pathway that leads to a place of truth. That place of truth is somewhere deep inside their mind. You explain what's going to happen there so that you find something to write on and something to write with, and then you basically read out this list of core beliefs and have them you know, either accept them unquestioningly or make small modifications to improve their effectiveness. But keeping in mind that their perspective is going to be one that may be limited because of who they are as a person. I mean, the very nature of the fact is that you're trying to improve their core beliefs. So their existing core beliefs might detract or try to modify to less effectiveness the new core beliefs if they feel threatened by them. So then you count from one to five, have them find them at themselves in that place, orient with questions inside or outside daytime or nighttime. This is essentially a streamlined, weaponized DMI process. So for the full induction, you can find that in Igor Ledachowski's uh, professional coursework version 2.0, his conversation with the therapy program 2.0, under the sections under DMI. Bearing in mind, of course, that you need to be aware of what ab reactions are and how to handle those first before you do this process. But in a very, very abbreviated nutshell that is not sufficient for you to recreate the entire experience, here's the outline of it. Hypnotize them. Make sure they can create new things in their mind. Take them to a new place of truth. Have them create these core beliefs there. Bring them back to the original place. Have them re-examine their past memories and notice how they've changed the thoughts and beliefs and feelings they have about it now, which is the test to make sure that it actually all works and then go back through a couple more of them to make absolutely sure. Conversational blitz, and then future projection. So taking them into a future where they have a particular situation happen and notice themselves, see themselves reacting and responding. Under the influence of these carefully selected, highly empowering core beliefs. Now, I know that's probably quite a complex process for a lot of erotic hypnotists out there, and that's, uh, I always forget, and this is going to sound like a humble brag, but I always forget how easy this stuff is for me. So I try and give people as many pieces of information as I can. So it's a complex technique, and I may even do a, I'm thinking about it now, but I may even do a separate episode or something where I do one of these in real time with someone so you can see how it works. But what you end up with is an entirely brand new... See, the reason this is interesting is that one of the things that Erickson said that, that struck me as, as one of the most profound things, and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially what he said is that you need to figure out what experience they need to have to solve their problem and then give them the experience or the thing that they would have gotten from that experience. So 
If you understand how core beliefs are formed, in part through formative experiences, in part through rationality, in part through logic, in part through culture and dozens of other factors, if you understand how they're formed, you understand that you can recreate those experiences hypnotically to create those new highly defined ideal core beliefs that are effective and powerful for them interacting in the world as a dominant male. Really what we're limiting ourselves here to is sexual dominance though. Dominance in the DS sort of relationship sense. We're applying an extremely broad and powerful hypnotic technique to an extremely small and narrow scope. We're weaponizing this particular process for a particular purpose to create the change within a dominant male of a more effective system of dominance actualized throughout his daily life but with a high emphasis on his sexual experiences and his relationships right so let's use some simple examples you have two identical male dominants one of them has gone through this process and the other one has not and every other respect they are identical right so say for example that a submissive breaks up with them now the normal non-trained response to this is to feel really really terrible right because that's that's something that you're just supposed to feel bad about right everyone expects you to feel terrible about it and if you don't then there's something wrong with you now i'm not saying that you can't grieve and to best understand the process of grief in a very simple way just look up the five stages of grief that's a very powerful tool and something that i hope will be of benefit to you in understanding and moving through that process but it's also okay to not feel bad about things that are, that are quote-unquote bad when they happen you know and that comes from seeing them in a different way so a bad thing can happen and you can feel okay with it because of the core beliefs that you have that lead to making certain meanings about that event which minimizes the amount of pain that you're in or also conversely you can have a bad thing happen or a good thing happen you can have a good thing happen and you can maximize the amount of joy in the experience because of the formative experiences that you've had combined with the hypnosis that you've had to re-empower yourself in this way changing your core beliefs so that the meanings that you make from that event are positive ones not, not positive in the sense that they're, you know, two thumbs up, happy, happy, but positive in the sense that they make you better. And not in like a, you know, I deserve to suffer because I'm a bad person kind of way, but more in like a, you know, perhaps if you were looking at that relationship, you could say something like, and this is fairly easy for me, and I understand that it might not be that easy for you because I've, I've actually done this technique on myself multiple times. But I've always really admired and respected scientists who take risks and dare. I admire audacity. Not necessarily that you have to do all of this stuff to yourself, but that the techniques themselves are content agnostic, right? Because you can flip this around and use this as a submissive training tool. Now, I would highly recommend that you only do that after you've done it to yourself in a dominant sense, right? Now, there's often the misconception that being a dominant is much less pleasurable than being a submissive and therefore less desirable and which is why you see less of them in broader society than you do submissives to some extent well actually no to, to no extent is that the contributing cause of a reduced number of dominance relative to the high number of submissives there are more submissives because being a submissive is easier being a dominant requires being able to do everything that a submissive can do plus a bunch of extra stuff Technically speaking, it's less challenging. Emotionally, mentally, it might be just as challenging, but technically speaking, it's less challenging. And it tends to appeal more strongly to masculine impulses of wanting to be in control, of wanting to be a protector, of wanting to be a provider of an experience or a relationship or of a life together. These are all admirable things no one should ever make you feel ashamed for wanting the life that you want so 
essentially what happens is you take yourself into hypnosis by listening to a recording that I've made up and then you have these core beliefs simply implanted inside your mind. Now it doesn't really matter how you get these core beliefs. I've simply arranged a streamlined and optimized way of doing this. Now there's lots of different ways that you can get them. You can go out and have the experience and for some people that I've done this technique with, they may need to have the experience in real life additionally to cement their understanding. But what was holding them back from having the experience in the first place was the fear and the lack of the core belief. So now that they're not afraid of this and they have the core belief, there's the possibility for them to actually go out and have the experience, which will further cement in that positive and empowering core belief. Right. So I've come up with a list of empowering core beliefs for male dominance. And you create these core experiences, these core beliefs inside yourself. You live the experience, you have the technique, you do it to yourself first to know that it works, to know how that it feels. And then, and only then, would I advise you to do it to your submissive, right? So again, it's content agnostic, right? And there's nothing inherently more enjoyable about being a submissive than there is about being a dominant. It's taking pleasure in different things, right? Because of the meanings that you have around them, which in part come from the formative experiences that you had during childhood, right? But you can skip over all those formative experiences. You can process them in, and I will be doing an upcoming lesson on um, blind therapy um, and negativity clearing techniques for erotic hypnotists to use with their female partners. Uh, you can clear out all the baggage so that to the point where it no longer affects you in a negative way. Then you can implant yourself with these new powerful core beliefs that are in alignment with natural law and in alignment with objective reality to the point where you can alter your perceptions of objective reality in a way that empowers you and improves the quality of your relationship and your life and the life of your partner as well. I'm trying to think of how I would explain this to someone that had never done any of this before. So let me try to simplify it, right? The intention here is to present you with a system, a very simple set of steps, very small number of steps to radically change how you feel about things because of what they mean to you, which is because of what you believe they mean to you, right? So your beliefs affect the meanings which affect your feelings. Now, everything in the entire world that has ever been done by anyone has been done because it makes them feel good or less bad, right? So feelings are what drive human behavior. Emotions are what drive human action. Love, trust, loyalty, all those fucking leather values they're always going on and on about, you know, in the abstract sense. They have no value. <laughs> those values, in my opinion, have very little value and, until they are articulated into the world. It's great, and in a consistent way, right? The amount of times I've spoken to someone who's gone, yeah, no, you know, honor, respect, loyalty, those things are the most important things in the entire world. And I say, okay, how do you articulate loyalty into the world? And they go, well, you know, I'm loyal to my friends. I'm like, is that hard to do though? Right? Are you, you're loyal to something that you're naturally hardwired to be loyal to, right? What makes it different from just someone else in non-leather who's never even heard of this stuff, you know, helping their friends out. What's the difference? Oh, I'd do anything for my friends. Yeah, so would they. Like, how does this fanciful obsession with abstractions of symbology benefit you, set you apart? How does this define you? If this is such a core part of your belief system, how is it different from every other fucking pleb out there who likes their friends and who's loyal to them? Oh, I'm very big on honor. Okay, what's honor? Well, honor means loving everyone unconditionally. No, it doesn't. My definition of honor is whatever I want it to be. Your definition of honor is whatever you want it to be. Jack Donovan's definition of honor is pretty solid, right? For more information on that, read The Way of Men, an excellent book and very simple to understand, right? But honor is 
context sensitive. So how do you articulate that value into the world? Can you explain how you do that? What are you creating? What are you building? So in simple terms, the things that you believe affect the things that you think things mean, which affects how you feel about them, which ultimately controls the, the, the kind of life that you're allowed to have. Now, if you believe that world is ending and that everything is terrible <clears throat> and that it's all doom and gloom and nothing that you does ever matters to anyone, you're objectively wrong, right? But you're limited by that belief system. Now, I'm not saying that your life will instantly get better, although there's a 99% chance that it will if you improve your beliefs, right? I'm saying it then has the possibility of getting better. Beliefs are a cage, they can be a cage, or they can be an open plane for you to roam and explore, for you to enjoy and delight in. They can be what moves you away from pain into boring mediocrity, or they can be what moves you from boring mediocrity into a life of exceptionalism, right? So, core beliefs, then meanings, then emotions, then action is the rough order of this. Now, it requires, again, a lot of the work that I do requires distilling complex concepts and extremely complicated hypnotic techniques into the simplest possible form while maintaining their overall effectiveness to a high level, right? Now, there is an enormous repertoire of hypnotic skills and I'm trying to minimize this so that you don't need to learn, you know, all of them and be a pro at all of them in order to handle every single person. Now, what will typically happen is you'll get like an 80-20 Pareto principle kind of situation where you'll be able to handle the vast majority of people with only one technique. But for other kinds of people, you might have problems, right? So here's what I would suggest that you do. Learn to a high degree of proficiency the DMI process that I outline here. Understand ab reactions, go through Igor's coursework. I suppose it doesn't hurt to talk about a rough outline of how you should do this here, although I will cover this in much more detail in the dedicated lesson on how to become an exceptional hypnotist. But in a very, very small nutshell, there is a three CD set that Igor puts out for free, which you should listen to. That's part of the existing How to Become a Great Hypnotist outline. Then you should pick up a copy of his How to Practice Hypnosis Without Fear program. Then you should do 20 of those inductions with at least 10 different people. Now this immediately facilitates the creation of community infrastructure and support groups. An effective model for that I have developed and I have been testing for several years now and I will be putting a lesson out on that shortly too, as well as an entire resources kit when I find the time on basically take this, fill in your name, now you have a hypnosis practice group based on effective principles and years of observation and uh, an acknowledgement of what works and what doesn't work. I know for a fact there are at least four currently active hypnosis practice groups around the world that are using the original template that I re uh, released a few years ago. Uh, I just never got around to releasing the updated version of that, but it's been massively overhauled. As always, it'll be in the resources folder. But yes, practice that 20 times with 10 different people, right? Get really, really good at learning when to bail, learning how to let them choose how deeply they go, make a checklist up. I may actually make up one for you and put it in the resources folder. No promises though. And do that. Then, once you've gotten the hang of that, that's your induction, right? So then you bridge from there to create a safe place in their mind, fill that place with new things and practicing DMI. The way that you practice DMI is a generalized, non-specific DMI experience, right? Another lesson I'm working on at the moment is how do you actually practice hypnosis? So to take a leaf from that lesson, 
with the DMI, you, you basically go on an unguided journey throughout random abstract symbols in their mind. You set up a framework where everything that happens is going to be positive and meaningful to them. And then you just let them roam and wander. You practice moving them from place to place. You know, I'm going to count from one to three and I'd like your unconscious mind to create a brand new place. And this time it's going to be a place of comfort. This time it's going to be a place of good memories. This time it's going to be a place of you know, of peak experiences. Take yourself there, three, two, one, inside or outside, daytime or nighttime, alone or with someone. Practice your orienting questions. If someone's there, they always have a positive message for that person. Let them receive it, so on and so forth. Stuff that comes with practice, right? These techniques are very, very easy, but also critical to remember. When you're doing DMI specifically, you have to be aware of ab reactions as a possibility and you have to be prepared on how to handle that. Now, I hate people saying, Go read the thing. I'd rather give you the Cliff Notes version here. So an ab reaction is an unexpected and unanticipated sudden detour into a negative response. Right? So you're talking about their past. Take yourself back to a time in your past when you felt really, really happy. And now all of a sudden, rather than going back to a happy time, which they will nine times, actually 99 times out of 100 do when you frame it that way, they might come up with something that is less than super happy, which may be slightly negative. For example, I have some amazing memories around members of my family that have since passed away, right? So you'd say, think of a happy memory. One of the things that comes up might be a time with one of those people, and then I would remember that they've passed on, right? So what you do with practicing the DMI is you make sure that it's a 100% positive memory before you take them back to it. All right. Then you practice looking around, finding symbols, finding things, understanding what they mean. Maybe they don't know what they mean. Maybe they do. You know, changing those symbols. Symbolic transmutation. Oh, just, I love just saying that. It just rolls off the tongue, right? Mm. You know, practice those core essential skills, both as a hypnotist and as a subject. Now, I highly advise you to do this technique or to have it done to you before you do it to someone so that you understand what it feels like, right? Now, there is a small piece of dogma, which I disagree with, that you can't be a good hypnotist until you've had the experience. It actually, it's more of a people saying, well, you can't understand what it's like until you actually had the experiences of being a submissive. It's like, no, that's bullshit. No. LT Morrison disagrees with that completely. It's, it's total nonsense. You know, it can be an extremely exceptionally powerful and creative, articulate and quote unquote good dominant without ever having submitted to anyone. It does require some understanding of psychology, of the psychology of a submissive, but it doesn't require that you actually have the experience. It might help in certain circumstances, but it's definitely not essential. However, in hypnosis, you can take out the content that makes it quote unquote submissive and have the experience of going on a generalized journey throughout your own mind, finding symbols, framing things in the right way, you know, practicing with another partner before you go and do it with somebody else. Now, don't let that stop you if you don't have a praxis group. But I highly advise that if you do have a practice group, you, you know, you have them learn this technique in a generalized, non-sexual, non-erotic sense. And again, totally positive experiences. Go back there, you know, find a symbol that represents that. Tell me about that. Be in that moment, create those things. Learn to navigate the unconscious mind in this way, right? Years ago, I did a navigating in urban and rural environments course, and it was brilliant. I loved it. And it was very clear that other people had never done this before but I grew up in the country, so this kind of thing was pretty natural to me. I'm also extremely observant, which made it a lot easier. And uh, I've always had a natural proficiency for puzzles and puzzle solving. So again, top of my class, not to brag, but you know, you probably guessed that. But the skills were very foundational. Like, I mean, at its core, navigating in urban and rural environments is about figuring out where you are and then finding out where you want to go and then getting there, right? So how do you figure out where you are? Well, there's a couple of different skills involved with that. How do you get to where you want to go? How do you know where you want to go? A couple of different skills involved in that, taking compass bearings, using a GPS, etc. 
Same with navigating the unconscious mind, right? There's basic skills. Can they create things from nothing? Can they find the meaning of things? Can they get out of their conscious mind's way? Can, can, they, can their conscious mind get out of their unconscious mind's way long enough for them to actually understand things that they don't know consciously, right? So that's how you practice and rehearse those skills. So get very, very good at DMI. And then use a very, very specific application of DMI to create a safe place and then a room where everything is true, right? And then be very, very careful. You are playing with the big toys now, right? This is not, this is not oh, we're gonna do an Elman and I'm gonna count from one to five and in five, on five you'll imagine that you're a bimbo, right? you know, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, you'll come out of trance and everything will be canceled. This is not that. These are designed to be permanent structural changes. So it behooves me, it, it compels me to have you review the, the episode of the lesson that I have on hypnotic safeties or anyone else that's put anything out like that that's competent. But again, there are three major safeties. Only when it's safe and appropriate, you will automatically ignore any suggestion that isn't right for you. And that you can always open your eyes and come out of hypnosis with a full and complete awareness of everything that's happened, calm and relaxed, and know unconsciously what the right thing to do next is, right? These things are always hard baked into everyone I play with, right? And I've made a recording for that, which I will eventually publish the script of because it's just a community service. So again, look for that in the resources section, um, in the resources folder under scripts. But yeah, hypnotic safeties. Record it in your own voice. Use a text-to-speech engine. I don't give a shit. But, you know, again, same concept, right? Create a place in their mind where everything is true. Go in there and then say things like, okay, you know, You'll only go to into a hypnosis when it's safe and appropriate for you to do so. You know, you'll only go to the depth that you feel comfortable. All of these things are core beliefs that radically affect how someone interacts with the world. So yes, I use this technique to develop the safeties recording that I have. And then I thought, well, what other core beliefs could I give someone that would make their life better? You know, and here we are now talking about the specific set of core beliefs that a dominant male would use to survive, thrive, and excel in these skill sets and in his practice of them. Because he may not have been a lotto winner. He may not have had the right set of formative experiences at the right time, in the right way, to get the ideal set of core beliefs, of which he may be mostly unaware if they happen to occur naturally, right? Now, because there's nothing controversial about these core beliefs, feel free to print this sheet out. It's a little checklist. Feel free to print this sheet out and put it on your wall and look at it often. I do. I add things to it. I scribble things on in pen, you know. Update, iterate, adapt, improvise, overcome. And again, the same thing for submissives, but I highly advise that you do your own version first for you and have the experience and get the benefit because of the lesson that I will put on paper at some point about my time running a multi-slave girl live-in 24-7 household with three full-time slaves and two, no, externals was never the right word, but kind of people that didn't live with me because we didn't have enough bedrooms. You know, there are lots of lessons that I learned from that. That's a topic for another time. But suffice to say, when you teach someone, you can teach them a subset of what you know, and you can teach them everything that you know, everything that a human being can be taught to do, any other human being can be taught to do. Now, there are obviously biological limitations to this. For example, you know, women are physically less strong than men on, on average. So even if you're lifting weight with the correct technique, you may not be able to lift as much weight, but you can be trained to do it the exact same way, provided that you have the same number of arms and legs or you don't need to make any other kind of structural modifications. You get where I'm going with this crap, right? So you can be taught to do these things the same way that anybody else can be taught to do these things. 
one of the key elements to keep in mind is acceptance. Accepting that you've been trained and not only accepting it, but pride. Pride is the final evolution of this, right? It's, I am good at this stuff. I am accepting that I'm good at this stuff and I am proud that I am good at this stuff. Right? And then you want to share that with other people. Maybe you want to teach classes of your own. Maybe you don't. That's fine too. Totally optional. So we are creating a very specific application of a single hypnotic technique to create massive, permanent structural change in the vast majority of people that you work with. Now, I have created a script for a recorded version of this that you are more than welcome to use, but I also strongly advise you to master the technique so that you can do it yourself in person. Um, the, the relevant resources on DMI can be found in Igor Ledochowski's Conversational Hypnotherapy Professional Certification version 2.0, which I'm sure you can find a copy of somewhere. The sections on ab reactions, DMI, and the dynamic mental imagery inductions are the relevant ones. Practice that. And again, use that same framework from the how to practice hypnosis without fear set. So take them into hypnosis that way using that induction and then do 20 repetitions of a generalized, super positive only DMI. Now you're reasonably okay at it, right? Have people do it to you a bunch of times too. Share the love. All right. Now you know how to go inside, create a safe place, bridge from that place to somewhere else, a place of truth, and then have that person write in the, the beliefs that you and they have agreed that they should have. Now, one of the things that I will do sometimes is discuss these core beliefs with someone in advance, but you don't have to do that if you give them veto power over it in the moment. Right now, again, this comes down to H plus and having very positive intentions, which I always do when I'm hypnotizing someone because their current belief system might have some elements of secondary gain that are attached to being a victim. It feels good to be a victim sometimes and letting go of that might be something that they want to do today or maybe not. So you don't always necessarily have to tell them the core beliefs that you're going to implant with them, but you should never bait and switch, right? So you should never show them a list of core beliefs that you're going to implant, have them agree and consent to that and then change it. I mean, you absolutely can. I mean, I've done that in the past, but only with people that I have blanket consent dynamics with. So as always, what makes it okay is the consent of the governed. No king can rule without the consent of the governed. So that's basically an outline on how to change someone's core beliefs. Now there's a list for dominance and a list for submissives. And you'll notice a lot of the stuff on these lists is very positive. It's very uplifting. It's very uh, empowering. It's designed to be that way. The overall intention of this has always been for me to maximize your experience of life to give you more options so that you can choose the things that you're naturally drawn to rather than being compelled by habit or limited circumstance, right? It's like you wanna have the option of doing this even if you never exercise that option, but you know that then your choice is valid because of a concept that I might do a separate lesson on called you can't say yes unless you can say no, right? Unless you can actually say no to someone, you can never really say yes, which is why the getting to know exercise is so valuable for rapid rapport building. But it's also so critical for establishing boundaries. The getting to know exercise, that's getting to N-O, not getting to K-N-O-W exercise. And it's basically, you know, you, you start doing something to someone, you explain what, how it works, which is essentially that you, um, you know, you're gonna start doing things to them gently and slowly until it escalates to the point where you want them to say no. And then you thank them for that no, you receive that no, and then you don't stop, but you stop doing that thing and then you pivot to something else immediately, right? There's a fantastic book called On Combat by a guy called Lieutenant Dave Grossman. And he examines the physiology and psychology of deadly conflict in war and peace. 
It's basically the sub subtitle of the book. It's fucking brilliant, right? And one of the things that he advocates for, which I could not agree more with, is his training scenarios must be as realistic as the actual thing as possible. So what he does is he trains people when they get shot to not stop moving, right? Like, if you think about it, again, so radical, so fundamental, is, is when they get shot, you know, you get hit by a paintball in a training scenario, you're supposed to lie down and play dead, right? So you practice doing that a couple of thousand times, and all of a sudden, you know, you're in a war zone, and you're getting shot, and you're lying down, and it feels perfectly normal, right? He decided to do something radical, something smart. Train people to get shot and not die. Train people to get shot and barely even notice. Train people to get shot and keep moving, keep firing, keep killing, right? And holy shit, did it work, right? I remember something that someone was telling me, uh, it's kind of one of those stories that goes around martial arts circles and, you know, like a meme, basically. Memes before there were memes. And it's a story about a guy who's practicing handgun disarms. So a handgun disarm is basically someone puts a gun in your face and you grab the gun out of them, out of their hand, right? And basically what happened was this guy had practiced this handgun disarm thousands and thousands of times. But what he did was he would grab the gun, take it off that person, and then like back up, create space between himself and the target. And then he would give the gun back to his friend who he was practicing with. And that got baked into the habit loop. Habit loop formation is also an excellent topic. The best book that I've found on that is called Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg, F-O-G-G. Excellent system. The best book on habits I've read, and I've read dozens. But the problem with that little loop is, the last step was then hand the loaded gun back to the person that you just took it from. So apparently, the story goes that he was out with a friend, he was in a shopping center or something, and someone pulled a gun, like a 7-Eleven, like a right? They were robbing the place. And so this guy gets up in this guy's face, gets up nice and close, snatches the gun out of his hand, takes two steps back, and then takes two steps forward, flips the gun around, and gives it back to the guy, right? Because that's, and all unconsciously, all because he'd drilled, he'd conditioned the wrong things. That last step was not supposed to be part of the habit loop, obviously. So I'm not sure whether the story ever actually happened, but the important part is it shows the importance of making sure that you train for the things that you want, which again underlies the whole intention of this particular lesson. Create a list of core beliefs, right? Implant them into yourself deeply in a positive way, right? And that's basically it, right? There are core beliefs that are formed from observation and experience that are less effective at getting you what you want than an idealized set of core beliefs that I've put together based on my understanding of the world, my experiences of it, you know, a decade plus of thinking about this topic. And those beliefs may be more effective than the ones you have right now. Because the ones you have right now were formed naturally, unless you've done some specific work to change this. They were formed by the experiences that kind of happened. It was a bit like drawing numbers out of a hat or you know, rolling a dice every six months. And if you didn't get the right number, all of a sudden you didn't get the right experience, right? So some guys, they luck out. The first couple of times they get laid in college or in high school, and it, it, it implants the right belief systems in their head, right? Sometimes guys don't have that. One of the, the really tragic things about this is young women, right? Now, young women are more viciously socially competitive than men can ever understand, right? We are just nowhere near as socially sociopathic as the average attractive young girl. And women can be very cruel to each other, especially in primary school and in high school. Uh, for my international listeners, that's sort of like from years one to 12. And they can be very vicious to each other, very cruel. And if a girl doesn't have the right set of formative experiences during those times when she's developing as a social animal, she can come to believe some really negative and some really 
self-destructive is not the right word, but some really painful things about herself that aren't true, like that she's not worthy or that she's not deserving or that she's not beautiful or that she's not capable or that she's not kind or that she's not anything good, that her life doesn't matter when it does. Objectively, scientifically, provably, her life matters. But she might not believe those things because she didn't have the right set of formative experiences as a child. Now, this can happen with young men as well, right? Abusive childhood, dad beats mom, whatever it is. They get certain ideas and core beliefs into their head about what they are and what they aren't, what they do and what they don't do. And these radically shape their perception of the reality that they're allowed to experience. Now, addressing these issues would be becoming a hypnotherapist and learning how to help people with hypnosis. And you will need a lot more skill to do that than you will to master this very specific technique and then this very specific application of this very specific technique in order as a hypnotherapist to be able to handle anyone that walks in through your door. Right? This is a, a focused, sharpened, weaponized version of a single technique for a single purpose. And 95% of it, to be honest with you, is in the recording. You can literally read the recording off in your own voice using all of the advice that I've outlined in the lesson on putting together effective hypnotic recordings to create 95% of the effect with like 10% of the effort, like no joke, right? You don't have to learn this technique, but there are people out there that are going to want to, which is why I've given you a rough outline of how to do it. Now, if you have any more questions, feel free to get in touch with me directly, and I'm quite happy to explain them in more detail, but that should be enough to get you started. So core beliefs are critical, right? They're formed in often part by formative experiences, but not everyone wins the fucking lotto, right? Not everyone grows up in a healthy, happy childhood or is top of the social hill in their primary school or, you know, maybe their breasts grow in a little too late and all of a sudden they aren't popular, you know, until that time happens. But by then, you know, they've already been, they've already had the experience of being socially ostracized and now they've internalized the idea that they aren't worthy or deserving. You know, the, the mental health epidemic of our time is for men, nice guyism. And I'll do a lesson on this at some point in the future, but it's critical that this be addressed because it is a massive impediment to becoming an effective and powerfully masculine, sexually dominant man. It's not impossible to overcome this. It's actually very, very easy to overcome this once you're aware that the problem exists and then you follow again the process that I will outline in that lesson. But there are a set of core beliefs specific to overcoming being a nice guy that are formed from a deep intrinsic understanding that I have of the study in this area, right? There are several things that at their very core define a nice guy. And these can be effectively countered, extremely effectively countered by, I guess, effective beliefs or counter-effective beliefs, right? Like, Nice guys have the idea in their head that they are worth less than the average person around them, right? So all you have to do is implant in their head the belief that they are worth the same or more than the people around them, right? Random strangers on the street are not worth as much as you. Easy, right? And that induces radical shifts in the possibilities that exist for them to experience happiness and joy and fulfilling relationships. Once you understand the concepts of toxic shame that Robert Glover outlines in his book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, which is excellent, but I'm working on an expanded and updated version that's been streamlined and weaponized, another one of my projects, then you understand the concept of toxic shame and the concept of covert contracts, you're like, 50% of the way there to no longer engaging in those dysfunctional behaviors. And a good 20% of the cure is having effective core beliefs, right? And having a mechanism to deeply implant those effective core beliefs. So there will be a recording at some point in the future specifically designed to use these exact techniques I've outlined today to implant specifically the core beliefs of someone who is not a nice guy. 
nice guy in the sense that uh, he possesses a series of dysfunctional self-beliefs and dysfunctional behavioral patterns which have made his life just utterly horrible essentially through no fault of his own and I will definitely talk more about that in a future lesson how to understand that problem how to empathize with someone with that problem and how to counter that problem effectively because a lot of shit just doesn't work and a lot of shit isn't available to men you know uh, it's, it's it's a real tragedy it's it's the mental health epidemic of our time is young white men being too kind and it must be addressed because there are because people are suffering because real people with real lives are suffering so young men tend to have that problem of being a nice guy and or can tend to have that problem because of various social cultural economic and especially political factors and young women have problems with self-love the same way that young men do but it tends to manifest in different ways the causes are slightly different but the end results are you know feelings of worthlessness very similar to being a nice guy feeling like they're only valued under very specific circumstances young women feeling like they have to be perfect right and <clears throat> it's helpful to help someone with this but unless you're their therapist unless you are a therapist and unless you have a suitable amount of emotional and sexual distance from them, your ability to create any meaningful change will be very, very limited. Right? I would highly recommend if you have someone in your life who has those experiences that they seek out a qualified hypnotherapist who is extremely skilled, get that handled. You know, all the usual caveats about how this is not therapy and you're not here to do therapy, blah, blah, blah. You're not here to fix an entire person's identity. You're here to help sharpen one very small part, but one very crucial part of how they see themselves. And you can help them with that, but I highly suggest that just like bailing out of an aircraft, you know, you put on your life jacket first and then you help the people around you. So do the work on yourself first. Improve yourself, understand what it feels like, but also do it because you deserve it just as much as they do. Implant yourself with these highly effective core beliefs, benefit from them, and then you know, teach your submissive the, the submissive versions of this. All of this will be in the show notes. And I'll probably end up putting together a few handouts on this particular topic, given that there's enough material to be worth doing that. So, yes. The effectiveness of core beliefs, how some of them are formed, and most importantly, how to actually change them to improve your submissive's effectiveness. Now, let me give you a couple of examples before we finish up of what the difference that these can create. Right? There are a lot of women who don't like sex because they think they're unattractive. Because they think they're unattractive, they can't imagine a reality in which a man finds them attractive or desirable. Now, what this ends up being is a situation where you're very attracted to them. They refuse to acknowledge that they are attractive and they consciously sabotage their own happiness by withdrawing from sex, running away from sex. Now, <clears throat> this is because of what they think that sex means, right? You know, it means that I'm not attractive. It means that he's going to leave me. It means he's going to abandon me like my last partner did, right? It means that he'll get angry at me and leave me. Whatever it means for them, right? Core beliefs, then meanings then emotion, then action. Right? Now, sometimes people have experiences in their past that are terrible, and that's, that's really tragic. Right? And you should always encourage them to see a qualified hypnotherapist or counselor or therapist or psychologist, whoever is most appropriate. And you should always be as supportive as you can be of someone in your life that you love who is trying to change and better themselves while also making your needs a priority as well. Now the difference is, same girl, different core beliefs. She goes from never initiating a blowjob in the entire length of our relationship to all of a sudden living down between my legs, right? It was like a dam breaking. You know, you go from someone who 
their whole life has thought that they were fat and unattractive and then they worked hard, lost the weight and no longer were that way, but still felt like they were that way. You know, finally developing a sense of, of their own value and taking themselves seriously, throwing out all the shit in their wardrobe that didn't make them look good and going out and buying some new clothes, getting rid of the shoes that didn't fit her, changing her hair, getting her eyebrows done, just things that other people would describe as little changes, but things that I found really meaningful and, and beautiful that were evidence of her taking herself seriously as a person. Now, <clears throat> it is well beyond the scope of this conversation to give you the skills to create any kind of change in anyone under any circumstances, right? That's a big ask. But what I've tried to do here, the intention of this is to explain the process. Now, having thought about it more while I'm recording this, I'm thinking I'm leaning towards just having you listen to the recording and then make up a version of that for your submissive, you know, um, recorded in your own voice. And as long as you have rapport and trust with them, you'll be able to create those hypnotic effects. But I like to explain this because of people like me out there that like to understand how this works and actually do have the skills. So if you want to get better at being a hypnotist, that's fine. Get in touch with me and I can give you some advice on that. Or check out the lessons I have on, you know, how to become an exceptional hypnotist, which I don't think I've published at this point, but I'm working on. So look out for that soon. But, you know, the changes are very specific. They're very small in scope, but very meaningful, right? Like. Almost every guy I know has had a relationship that is fucking amazing, right? But the sex is terrible. And he's looking at her and going, why doesn't she want to touch me? Why doesn't she want to suck my dick? Well, some of the times he's not asking for those things. Some of the times he's not making it safe for her to do those things, right? But some of the time he is doing all the work correctly that he's supposed to do. And she just has core beliefs, baggage from previous negative experiences or past relationships that are holding her back from being able to express that. So this can help you to help her to change herself. So I will put together a recording that is designed specifically to take your submissive into trance, provide you with the full script of that in the resources folder along with the recording. And you can either use my voice to train your submissive, or you can use, you know, the recording in your own voice, or you can feed it through a text-to-speech engine to implant these deep and empowering core beliefs into your submissive or slave so that they can change the things that they think things mean and create or help to create the fertile ground for a truly amazing and exceptional relationship with them. It's not your fault that bad things have happened to them in the past and you shouldn't have to go without sex or affection or love or whatever it is that you're going without because of things that happened that had nothing to do with you. The same way that I would say that if you were a guy and you had bad experiences in the past, you should go and get that sorted out. It's not right to deny your partner, your female partner, the things that, you know, she biologically needs in a relationship. The solution is not to find someone else to give them to her. Well, it's sometimes the solution, but it's not often the solution. It's more like personal outsourcing. You know, you want to engage in that circumstance in a situation where there's something that you simply have no interest in providing to her. But if you have the possible, if you have the capability and the desire, but you lack the, the ability, right? Like if, you, if it's possible for you to have amazing sex with her and you want to, but right now there's some stuff in your head, some core beliefs that, that got put there because when you were 16, your girlfriend cheated on you because she was a bitch and you've always interpreted that as this means that I don't deserve love or this means I don't deserve pleasure or this means that sex is always about her or this means that I don't feel like I'm worth a good relationship. Here's the tool to fix that shit, right? Here's the tool to change yourself. So change yourself, right? You have the desire, you have the capability. This would be good for both you and for her. Here's how you fix that shit, right? Or you can go to another hypnotist and you can say, you know, knock me into hypnosis, right? Implant these core beliefs. These are the things I wanna believe are totally true. Here's the list, 
and have them do it for you, right? Or you can listen to a recording, do the same thing. Do what is most effective. Take whatever you want that is good and positive from these lessons. Discard what is irrelevant and doesn't work for you. And then add in what is uniquely your own. Right? But this is how you solve a big chunk of being more sexually dominant. Because being sexually dominant is very fulfilling. It's very rewarding. Everyone can do it. Right? It's a matter of core beliefs. Now, it's not your fault that you didn't win the fucking lotto, or maybe you did, when you were a kid and you had the right set of experiences in the right order with the right people and you know no one broke up with you and you had an amazing time every single time. Like Formative experiences, core beliefs, it's not the formative experiences that tend to keep affecting you. It's the core beliefs that they form. You can change those, recognize those, and make them better. You can use this highly ideal and carefully constructed in alignment with reality set of empowering core beliefs for a dominant and submissive to radically restructure how you see the world to open up entirely new worlds of things that you can explore and levels beyond levels of intimacy and communication, connection and pleasure with your partner. Now, this isn't so that you can fix them, this is so that you can teach them, right? Therapy is beyond the scope of this conversation. I'm sure you're absolutely sick of hearing it by now, but it's very possible to simply give them the recording of my voice to listen to, or make a version in your own voice from the word-for-word -word script, or do a text-to-speech version if you're not comfortable using your voice, or pay another hypnotist that you're um, submissive or that you trust to do this with you, right? Go to a hypnotherapist and say, these are the things I wanna believe. Here's the list, can you do this? They'll say yes, they'll say no, and you're off and rolling, right? Take what works for you, discard what doesn't, add in what is uniquely your own, use these tools to improve your life. As always, I highly encourage you to get in contact with me directly. You'll find my contact details on the website. Thank you for listening to the Mind King podcast. I hope that you found it useful and that you will implement the things you've learned to bring more joy into your life. You can find more content, including the free book, a folder of templates and printable handouts, heaps of audio files, and much more at the website, mindkink.net. Feel free to send me a short email or to get in touch using the details on the contacts page. I always enjoy hearing from people who have benefited from my work.